Hello and welcome to Integrating Chinese Medicine, sponsored by the Dow Health. I am Elizabeth Cullen. And I am Georgia Payton. And we are traditional Chinese medicine practitioners and acupuncturists. We're your hosts, providing an educational platform for practical ways to integrate Eastern medicine into your Western lifestyle. Throughout this podcast series, we will be discussing the benefits of getting to know our bodies in a practical sense and how to be an advocate for your own health. Dr. Lieberman joined CFC as medical director in August 2019 after 16 years as a fertility and miscarriage specialist at Jenea. Dr. Lieberman was born in New York City and obtained her medical degree from the State University of New York. She completed her residency training in Washington, D.C. before obtaining a Master's of Public Health at Harvard University whilst working in a faculty ONG practice at Harvard Medical School. In 1997, she moved to Sydney. She was Associate Medical Director for Women's Health at Organon from 2000 to 2003, where she was responsible for contraception, menopausal hormonal therapy and infertility. Dr. Lieberman was President of Family Planning New South Wales for 12 years and also served on the Board of Sexual Health and Family Planning for two years as as its President. She was a Director of the Fertility Society of Australia for eight years and its vice president for two of those years. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It's wonderful to have you here. So to begin, Devorah, could you please give us some insight into a day in the life of a fertility and reproductive specialist? <laughs> sure. Pick a, pick a, pick a day. Um, every day is different. Look, every day, every day is different. Every, yeah. every patient, every couple is different. So my days, my weeks consist of consulting, Mm -hmm. new and existing patients, returning patients, of course, doing procedures, egg collections, embryo transfers, inseminations, lots of phone calls, lots of emails, lots of conversations with my nurses as we go back and forth about um, what patients' results are, lots Mm -hmm. of communication with my my New South Wales team of of doctors and nurses, Mm -hmm. uh, just trying to stay up to date and in tune with what's going on mm. yeah awesome yeah. and when an individual or couple seek out a reproductive specialist what should they expect their treatment plan to look like and is IVF the only option mm. well specialists are very different in their approaches mm. so I can't speak for what everybody would yeah. do um, but your treatment options will depend on what the reason for you being there in the first place is. So for example, if the problem like it is 40% of the time with a cisgendered heterosexual couple, Mm. if it's on the male side, well then IVF is probably going to be the only option. Yeah. If there's so few sperm, if it's an ovulation problem, well that might be easily treated with tablets. Yes. So it just depends on, why you're there you know Mm. then there can be more complex situations like surrogacy or donor egg donor sperm Mm. those sorts of 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 challenges are are quite different yeah 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 and what three important questions should an individual or couple ask a fertility specialist when considering reproductive treatment Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well. well i think um 
the first question you should ask, is this the only treatment option for me? Yeah. What all yeah. the Good alternatives? Mm. Yeah. What does a course of treatment look like? What yeah. kind of side effects might I expect? Mm. And what are my chances of success? Yeah. yeah, great. That's a really important one. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody wants to hear the answer to that last question, no. but yeah. um, it's, I think it's very important that people have in, make informed decisions about their their options. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. Do you find that there is patients who have a mixed expectation of treatment before coming in? So they may think with IVF, oh, this is going to be a one-off. Yeah. Or- well, I'll take that in a, in a few parts. I think that, and I blame family planners like me for making the rest of the world think that every single act of unprotected sex is going to result in a baby. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Human beings are just terrible reproducers. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so... People are often surprised when I present them with the graphs about what their chance of success is likely to be. Mm. Yeah. And of course, the older a woman gets, the less likely she is to um, get and maintain, get pregnant and maintain that pregnancy. Mm. Um, I think that it's important for people to understand that very often fertility treatment is not just a one-off. Mm. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint, as yeah, much as I hate that expression. Yeah. Um, I think you'd need to commit to a, 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 a time frame and mm. a range of treatment options. You know, I think yeah. if we're going to help a couple or a, an individual, we'll generally do so pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we have very good evidence for that, that beyond three, four, five cycles of whatever treatment you're having, whether mm. it's ovulation, induction, or IVF, mm. the chances of success become lower. You mm. kind of bump up against the ceiling of your maximum chance of success. Rather yeah. than being cumulative, almost. Well, we do talk about the cumulative live birth rate in yeah. IVF because we're talking about undergoing an IVF cycle, creating, hopefully, a number of embryos. So yeah. you have frozen embryos which we can then transfer in subsequent mm. cycles yeah um but i try to man- you know managing expectations is the hardest part of my job oh yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. um uh, you know in yeah. city like it would be for you yeah, you know difficult. so yeah. i come from a place of let's talk about what we can do what we can't do and what you might want to do yeah. yeah 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 put it out there on the table so yeah. there are no options yeah yeah. And for a couple or an individual seeking fertility support, what should they look for in their fertility specialist? Well, people are going to have different um, needs and yeah. desires out of a fertility specialist. So, mm. yeah. you know, it's a bit like, I don't know, almost like finding a hairdresser. You know, yeah. some, people, some, some people are happy to go to Just Cuts and get a simple mm. trim and whatever. And other people want to go to a salon with the champagne and, and all the bells and whistles. Yeah. Um, so similarly, well, that makes it all sound much more banal than, than, it, than, it, than it is. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I ha- apparently I have a reputation out there in the world for telling people like it is. Yeah. Sometimes those truths are hard to tell and hard mm. to hear. Um, but I always think I want to treat people the way I would want to be treated myself. Most definitely. Yeah. So not everybody would necessarily want that. Some mm. people prefer more of a, I don't know, uh, 
optimistic, falsely optimistic, mm. possibly yeah. sugarcoating yeah. Uh, of it. And I, I can't do that. I mean, I will give myself 110% to my patients, but yes. yeah. um, always trying to manage those expectations. And from early on. Oh, yeah, from the beginning. Yeah. From the beginning. It makes such a difference. Yeah, I think yeah. if you know what you're getting yourself yeah. into, it's easier to cope. You yeah. know, I say the, yeah. the hardest parts of fertility treatment are, one, you don't know what the other side's going to look like yeah. and what it's going to take to get there. Yeah. yeah. And two, you have no control. Yeah, that's it, yeah. isn't it? And that, for, yeah. for a lot of my patients, that's the hardest part, yeah. that loss of control. You know, they've, they've spent their whole lives trying not to get pregnant. Right, yeah. Yeah. That's it. yeah? yeah. And have been successful in every aspect of their lives. Mm-hmm. So they set their mind to it. They've been able to achieve and they're high flying and they're doing whatever. And then they bump up against not getting pregnant. And it, it really, it crushes so many people yeah, because it, does, it, yeah. it shakes them to their, to their core. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And it's the only thing that, you know, in work, you can work really hard and get a great mm-hmm. job or, mm-hmm. you know, in fitness, you can exercise and be the right body shape, mm-hmm. but it's the only thing with fertility. You can do all the right things, but you have no choice in the matter. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. Yeah. And you can't reverse your age. <laughs> I'm working on that. <laughs> Watch this face. <laughs> so Dr. Lieberman. Could you please unpack the terms IUI, IVF, and ICSI? And could you be, please explain the differences to our listeners? Ah, yes. The alphabet soup of IVF. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. Yep. So that can either be with a partner's sperm or mm-hmm. a sperm donor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally will involve a, a, a woman monitoring a woman's natural cycle or giving her some medications to help her to ovulate and doing a very straightforward insemination procedure just prior to ovulation mm-hmm. yeah a bit more refined than a turkey baster yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, IVF stands for in vitro fertilization mm-hmm. in vitro meaning in glass so that means that the fertilization and the initial stages of embryo development happen in the laboratory okay so um, a woman will undergo uh, ovarian stimulation to try to get lots of follicles to grow her eggs are collected in a very straightforward transvaginal ultrasound guided procedure. Mm. Eggs are fertilized in the lab and then they're cultured these days, almost always for five to six days. Mm. Yeah. And then hopefully a lovely embryo to transfer back. And if she's fortunate, more embryos that can be frozen. Mm. Mm. So ICSI stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's just about how the eggs are fertilized in the standard IVF process. Sperm are washed and concentrated, about 100,000 of the best and the brightest to mix with the eggs and let them do their thing. With ICSI, the supporting cells around the egg are stripped away and a single sperm is injected into the egg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we will generally do this for male factor infertility. Mm -hmm. People often say, well, Dvor, it only takes one sperm to get into the egg. Yeah. yeah, but the egg is normally surrounded by this huge fluffy cloud of cells yeah. and it takes hundreds of thousands of sperm to break down that fluffy cloud of cells yeah. so the one laggard can get in behind. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> right? So not necessarily the strongest sperm. No. No. <laughs> no, we, we, don't, we don't actually know why the one that gets in is the one that gets in. 
yeah. I, and and it? it is funny because yeah. we kind of anthropomorphize sperm mm. and eggs for that matter. You know, yeah. a whole bunch of follicles will grow up and people assume that the best egg is the one that's ovulated, but not really. how, how do you know? By chance. How, how, do the, how do the follicles know which has got the best mm. egg? Yeah. They're not talking to each other. No. no. Yeah. And people think that people, that women ovulate left, right, left, right. Yeah. No. Yes. It's random. It's very random. Yeah. And we tend to have one ovary that's more dominant than the other. Yeah. yeah. More high functioning in a way. Yeah, probably. Somewhat. Yeah. yeah. I was reading the other day about the um, egg receptivity and how it's linked with vitamin D. Yeah. How... It, vitamin D is really important for so many things. Yeah. And how um, it can change how the sperm can penetrate the egg. Really? Yeah. I just thought it was fascinating. Really interesting. Yeah. 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 So... So if we talk about IVM, what mm-hmm. is it mm-hmm. and where does it have a place in fertility treatment? Okay. So in the IVF process, um, the follicles are stimulated to grow. Mm. And then prior to egg collection, a woman will have what we call a trigger injection okay. that triggers the final growth and maturation of the egg and separates, helps separate from the wall of the follicle so it can be collected. Yeah. So the, the maturation of the egg happens in the follicle, in the ovary. Yeah. In vitro maturation is where we collect immature eggs mm-hmm. and mature them in the laboratory okay. and then fertilize them and create the embryos. Um, it's been a holy grail for a very long time and mm-hmm. we are now at a point where IVM success rates are equivalent to IVF success rates. Wow. So not, not better. Right. No, so, but yeah. equivalent. So, yeah. what's the advantage of IVM? Well, for the right patient, uh, and these are generally younger patients who've got nice, big ovaries with lots of follicles. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they only need a couple of days of injections, yeah. and then they have a general anesthetic, and we can collect those eggs. Mm-hmm. So, the advantages are very few injections. Yeah. It can be timed very um carefully yeah. so you can say right i'm gonna have my egg collection next tuesday mm. and we can make that happen yeah. um and it can be done quite quickly uh prof ledger and his team at the royal are also looking at ivm for uh cancer patients who are about to undergo mm. chemotherapy oh, okay so yeah. taking taking even ovarian tissue and wow. maturing eggs from the ovarian tissue and freezing those eggs. Oh, that's incredible. Which yeah. is phenomenal. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. So the, the egg collection procedure itself is much more challenging and much harder for the scientists. Okay. Because yeah. rather than having an egg that's surrounded by those, that fluffy cloud of cells that I was mm. talking about, yeah. you're talking about the scientists looking for a, a much tighter egg in a, in a more bloody um, yeah, okay. sample. So okay. for, for us, technically, it's more challenging, yeah. but easier for the woman. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And has there been any research with the difference between IVM and IVF with live birth outcomes yet? Does yes, it... that's what we're looking at, that that's our live birth you're... outcomes yeah. now with IVM yeah. are, are, are close to, close to, um, to IVF. The same with IVF. Yeah. Wow, okay. So yeah. it's really appropriate for the woman with polycystic ovaries, mm-hmm. young yeah, not for the 42-year-old with low ovarian reserve. Okay. Yeah. 
So would it be um, for anyone under 35? Yeah, 35, 36 is what we're looking at. Although, of course, there'll be um, exceptions to that depending on what... It's more about the ovarian reserve, really, than the age. Yeah. So how big the ovary is because you... Yeah, collecting those those eggs from tiny little follicles is quite a different prospect yeah. to a, a nice um, big fat follicle. Juicy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And is it just City Fertility that's doing these IVM procedures? Well, we haven't started yet. Oh, okay. In New yeah. South Wales, we yeah. are about to. So, yeah. um, happening at um, at the Royal Hospital for Women with okay. Prof Ledger and Wonderful. Prof Gilchrist. But also we um, have now joined up with a, a clinic in Perth and Professor Roger Hart has been doing IVM in Perth for a number of years now. But oh, yes, okay. we will be bi-coastal and yeah. as we become more um, experienced with it, we will be able to roll it out to our other clinics across the, across the eastern seaboard. Fantastic. Wonderful. So do you think that it could get to a stage, Devorah, where IVM would be offered before IVF, depending on the patient? I think it'll depend on the patient. Yeah. You know, okay. I don't see, you know, IVM will certainly never replace no. IVF. Yeah. Um, certainly in my practice, you know, inner city CBD, um, most of my patients would not be eligible for Ideal it. candidates, yeah. 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 But, but you know, for egg freezing, for fertility preservation, for young women, yeah, yeah something yeah. that we could certainly look at. Yeah, great. Yeah, is it more um, cost effective than IVF as well? Well, it's it it requires far far less medication. Yeah, far yeah. less monitoring. I mean, you basically need no blood tests and ultrasounds. You just yeah, okay. time it all. So yeah. yeah, yeah, great, great. From a system perspective, it is. Yeah, yeah. Until you get to the to the procedure room where you've got to do the egg collecting because that takes a bit longer and yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how important is it for a patient to be their own advocate whilst undergoing treatment? Oh, look, I think it's really important that um, patients feel they have a whole team around them that's advocating for their best interests, Uh, from the doctors to the nurses, even to the the admin support, you know, understanding that this is a challenging time for people. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think people need to speak up and if they've got questions if, and if you're not in an environment where you feel you can ask those questions maybe it's time to look somewhere else yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah I always recommend for my patients to write it in their notes before their questions oh that yeah they have for the specialist as well so that they um in case they do get white coat syndrome mm-hmm. that when they come in they've got their questions ready to go yeah so, oh yeah. absolutely yeah and for me all my patients will have my email address yeah. great that's so so I never want somebody to say to me, well, Devor, I couldn't get in touch with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, call me, email me, even if it's just to say, Devor, can you call me? Yeah. And, you know, it's good for yes, no questions. Or if someone's been on Dr. Google and wants to know, is this okay? Yeah. Can you know, flick it to me? Well, yeah. I say I'm not a touch typist. So if I have to scroll down, you'd better make an appointment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a good guideline. <laughs> And Delora, in your opinion, after how many cycles should a person review their treatment plan with their fertility specialist? And what should they be asking their fertility specialist? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, after every stimulated cycle, people should at least have the opportunity to review that cycle with mm-hmm. their specialist if it wasn't successful. Yeah. Talk about what went right, what didn't go so right, 
are there things that we can do differently? Would you do the same? Did, did a woman's ovaries respond as expected? Did the fertilization go as expected? Mm. Embryo development, you know, all of those things, you know, and if everything went as expected, mm. then there's yeah. probably nothing to change. Yeah. 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 If there were surprises, then yeah, I think it's, it's good to look at, at altering what was done. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And when should an individual or couple undergoing IVF take a break or discuss a different action plan? Again, that's going to be a really individual decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of my patients, when they're having treatment, they, they, they want to keep that momentum going. Mm. So yeah. it's an unsuccessful cycle. No divorce. I'm on, I'm on a roll. I'm in a rhythm. I'm going to do what we call a back-to-back cycle. Mm. Yeah. Other people find it's all too much and they want to take some downtime. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's no evidence that you need to take a break from mm. a medical perspective. Okay. Uh, so I say to patients, it's, it's all about your head. And yeah, how's your mental at. health? Yeah. Yeah. And so offering counseling, coaching, yeah, really important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if we talk about frozen and fresh embryos, which has a better birth outcome and how do you explain this process to your patients? Well, when I started in treatment, you know, embryo freezing was not so great. We okay. didn't do it terribly well Mm. but now with um we call it vitrification so it's like flash freezing of embryos embryos survive really quite well Mm. Uh, and constant debate in my world about should all cycles be freeze all cycles Mm. are women better getting pregnant with an unstimulated endometrium yeah don't think we have a definitive answer for Mm. that yet yeah Mm. people still debate it and i think you have to take it on a very individual basis yeah yeah and when you say an individual basis what would be some factors that you take into consideration um well i guess in my practice my my biggest concern about starting out with a freeze-all cycle is Mm. there may not be any embryos suitable for freezing yeah yes so i always think you'd want to have that that plan for a fresh embryo Mm. in the first instance some cycles will always be freeze all cycles yeah so if we're doing testing of embryos for um uh, genetic disorders or for translocations those cycles are freeze all cycles we freeze the embryos while we wait for those results Mm. Mm. these days i run my donor cycles as freeze all cycles okay okay because we used to synchronize the the donor and the recipient but we're learning now that if a woman ovulates or can ovulate, mm-hmm. she's better off having an ovulatory cycle and an embryo transfer than a medicated cycle. Okay. That it's a good thing to ovulate and have the corpus luteum to support the pregnancy yeah. rather okay. than rely on it pharmacologically. Okay. Obstetric outcomes are better. Yeah. So okay. that's if a woman can ovulate. Obviously, yeah. if she doesn't ovulate or is postmenopausal, then we need to use medication. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now what I do is take donors through, freeze the embryos, and then cycle the recipient on when her period starts. Yeah, great. Okay. Okay. And how about for a patient who isn't using a donor embryo, is that something that you would be doing with that type of patient as well? Could be. If, depending on the frozen embryo. Could be, depending on what she wants and how she responds. Yeah. Uh, For women who are high responders, over responders, we'll often set them up 
as a as a freeze all cycle mm. yeah. because we want to minimize her risk of developing ovarian hyperstimulation yes. syndrome, yeah. which we which we can do these days by uh, manipulating the cycle. Yeah. Um, so freeze the embryos, let the ovaries settle down, and then do a transfer in a subsequent cycle. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes you do intentionally set out to to freeze all to freeze. Yeah. Okay. okay. Do you have many patients who ask? To ideally do a frozen. Yeah, look, some some will. Yeah, you know, some will say, um, or or they will. They know that they're not going to get a lot of embryos. Yeah. So and they want they'd like to have the potential to have more than one child. Yeah. So it, it's a bit challenging in Australia. We can't really technically do embryo banking. Okay. Like people might have heard about in the states. Well, we have we have NHNMRC ethical guidelines around the hoarding of embryos. Oh, okay. Yeah, we the. What's a hoard? Yeah. And HNMRC don't actually define that. Mm. Yeah. But I think it's reasonable if you know you want two or three children yeah, family to have at least that number of embryos yeah. in storage. Yeah. Especially yeah. if they're already freezing embryos, then at mm. least they've got those embryos at that age exactly. as well. And, you know, if they're planning on having a second baby in a year or two, then... Yeah, then that 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 it's, like... it's a younger, yeah, younger it's embryo. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, depending on the age of the patient. But. So I, yeah, and counseling patients about what treatment options, I often talk about, well, what's your desired family size? In an ideal world, how many kids yeah. do you want? Yeah. We spend a lot of time thinking about how old we are for baby number one, yeah. but yeah. not so much for baby number last. It's a conversation yeah. we have here a lot as well, because yeah. people don't really consider that, or maybe right. the third baby, if they would like to have right. a third, is that, yeah, the focus is on that first one. Oh, look, I've had patients yeah. who are desperate for number five, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with the hoarding that they talk about with the embryos, does that include egg freezing with the guidelines around hoarding? Oh no, with egg freezing you can freeze as many you can have as many yes. egg freezing cycles as, as you like as you like yeah. as you're prepared to go through and, and pay for. Yeah. Sure. yeah, okay. That's a different that's a different story. The the issue about embryos well, some people would have ethical issues yeah. with putting embryos in storage that may never be used. Yeah, mm. okay. Um, but certainly the government and the taxpayer would have something to say yeah. about mm. going through multiple subsidized cycles okay. and then those embryos I never guess. being used. Yeah. yeah. You know, Medicare is really meant for medical conditions and kind of the immediate treatment of yeah, that okay. condition. Yeah, okay. to look at it. Yeah. 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 How that long? makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. How long can you keep the embryos in the freezer? As long as you keep paying storage fees. I was always wondering, <laughs> like, is it eight years or how long? No, you have to. I think the consent forms will say 10, but, you know, you can just renegotiate that. I mean, I will say most IVF clinics will have an age limit. Yeah. Uh, which they'll transfer. At City Fertility, it's 51. Yeah. Which yeah, is okay. the average age of menopause. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so if we talk about... IVF add-ons, mm-hmm. what are they? <laughs> well, it depends on who you ask. I mean, some people would say that ICSI the, could be an add-on. Could be an add-on. Yeah, it could be, really, yeah. Right. But, but in general, add-ons, I guess, are, are, are considered additional treatments, therapies that are the aim of which is to improve outcomes. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. you know, acupuncture would be an, an add-on. add-on. Could be yeah. an add-on, yeah, complementary add-on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. There are a number of, of, of supplements that are considered add-ons. Mm. Yeah. Then there are, um, you know, things that become more expensive and more potentially invasive. So uh, 
things like doing an endometrial biopsy to assess endometrial receptivity. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of evidence out there to support that. Is that the same as a scratch? No. Different. Scratch scratch is, scratch is different. Yeah. So, the, well, there you go. There's an add-on. That's an that, add-on. That we all jumped on that bandwagon. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. very trendy Very, while, very, very popular to yeah. do the endometrial scratch. Yeah. Um, the thinking was that to, if you um, injure the lining of the of the uterus, the endometrium, that that would stimulate a, a response in the lining that would make it more amenable to future implantation. Yeah. More receptive. More receptive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we all jumped on that and started yeah. scratching. And then um, Cindy Farquhar and her group in New Zealand did a, a very elegant um, randomized control trial mm-hmm. that actually was published in the, New, in the New England Journal of Medicine. Oh, okay. That showed no benefit. No benefit at all. No benefit. Right. Yeah, right. So uh, in my world, we're very quick to take things on. Mm. Well, you're eager. Well, we want to help. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I, think, I think it comes from a good place definitely yeah yeah um, but we're we don't seem to be so good at letting them go oh uh, yeah, yeah okay when yeah. evidence suggests that no this isn't helpful yeah yeah um do you think it ends up being sometimes a bit of a chicken or the egg situation where you know you may find with patient experience or oh, well that patient had that IVF add-on for example and then you can't tell which what it actually was do you think that's sometimes why some specialists won't let it go because they think oh well it's worked for some patients it might be yeah, a bit but of you don't you don't evidence. you don't know with it well, you don't know yeah, yeah don't know bit. you know yeah. people yeah. say oh I had three cycles and then I had a scratch and I got pregnant so it must have been the scratch well, so, well maybe not no necessarily no, yeah. no each IVF cycle is its own cycle it has its own yeah. chance of success you yeah, don't know embryo. that any particular intervention is what made the difference mm. yeah yeah so in, in in looking at these things you've, uh, to me you've got a way up costs mm. financial yeah um and risks yeah so because a lot of these add-ons do add mm. risk yeah so there there are big risks to steroid therapy mm. big risks to clexane anticoagulant yeah. therapy yeah um so you've got to really question long and hard and about, i guess that's not only risk for the patient but also risk for the potential baby as absolutely well. yeah well steroids are known teratogens yeah you know, cleft cleft Clef face palate, yeah with and, and palate with prednisolone yeah it happens yeah. it's a link yeah. yeah yeah it's a chance what is the chance of cleft palate um i couldn't quote you a yeah a, a statistic but i am mm-hmm. i have i've heard that there have been two babies born in sydney with yeah. clefts in their faces and yeah. to me you know, for me, the indications for using steroids in IVF are very shaky yeah, okay, at best. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's interesting because they are so popular. Yeah. We see them a lot in clinic. Yeah. Uh huh. I'm sure you do here yeah. in the east. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But that's a, that's a topic for a, another day. Another day. <laughs> yes. Another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talking about an add-on. So um, what is PGD testing? PGD stands for pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So this is where, well, if you think about a, a day five embryo, it looks like a soccer ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smaller than the head of a pin. It's got cells on the outside. It's filled with fluid. And it's got this clump in the middle, the inner cell mass that makes the baby. The cells on the outside become the placenta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So scientists can now make a hole in the shell. Those placental cells can hatch out and we can take a few of those cells, amplify the DNA and look for a range of things. Okay. So 
this is more alphabet soup. Mm. Yeah. So um, we now talk about PGT, pre-implantation genetic testing. Yes. Yeah. And we can test for A, aneuploidy, so that in, that's the counting of chromosomes. Okay. Yeah. We can do PGT-M, M for mutation. Yes, okay. okay. So, yeah. I mean, for example, I've got a patient at the moment who they have, um, sadly, a, a, a child with muscular dystrophy. Yeah. Okay. They didn't yeah. do any preconception extended carrier screening. Okay. They have an affected son, and now they want to um, be sure that they have um, an unaffected yeah. next child. Yeah. 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 So we do have the ability to do that. And then uh, the final one is... PGTSR, which is structural rearrangement. So okay. some people will have what's called a, a chromosome translocation, okay. where they have all of their genetic material, but it's just a little bit mixed up. Okay. Oh, so okay. eggs or sperm can have too much or too little genetic material. Okay. Yeah. So that's a, a it's a it's a rare cause of infertility <clears throat> or miscarriage. Okay. okay. Is yeah. that um was it PGTSR? Mm-hmm. Is that the most recent? one that's been now tested or has that been around for a while that's been around for that's been around for a while okay. and, you know the controversy is is about the pgta okay should you be screening your embryos for chromosome abnormalities yeah okay okay um and you know you, you put three fertility specialists in a room you're going to get five opinions about this yeah okay yeah. um people need to know that there are risks involved in the testing process yeah. embryos are tiny little things and yeah. they can be damaged when they're handled yeah. Yeah. there is the risk of a false positive test yeah okay that we take a perfectly healthy normal embryo mm. yeah. call it abnormal and, and chuck just, it in the bin and, yeah. It's discarded. Yeah. and and we know that that happens okay yeah um testing embryos doesn't change them no it they doesn't. are what they are yeah. yeah that's it far and away the most likely outcome if an embryo isn't normal is you don't get pregnant yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Or miscarry. or you miscarry, you miscarry pretty early on. Yeah. It's extraordinarily rare for a chromosome abnormality to get, you know, even to the ten week mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have you know some of my patients, my recurrent miscarriage patients, are terrified to transfer back an embryo that hasn't been tested. Yeah. Oh gosh, then it takes that confidence away. Well, from they're because they so they think that they're they're yeah they're. My recurrent miscarriage patients are often terrified to get pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Because they've been through so much. Absolutely. Understandably. Absolutely. Um, But people need to be aware that um, there may not be any embryos suitable for testing, and Mm. it's possible that all of their embryos could be affected or abnormal. Yeah. Right? People go into this, again, managing those expectations, thinking, oh, I'm going to test my embryos, and then I'm going to have an embryo transfer, and I'll know that it's normal. Yeah. Well, no, we did the testing, and it turns out, you know, three of your embryos, they were all abnormal. Yeah. Well, to my mind, we've spared a woman a couple, three months of embryo transfers that were not going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. You're not putting her body Um, under that stress. Yeah. 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 Okay. But I, but I do appreciate that getting that information can be very distressing yeah. and upsetting because your yeah. expectation was different. Yeah. But again, it's about why you're doing the test in the first place. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And it's outweighing, you know, whether a woman has an early miscarriage or you do the testing and you say that the embryos aren't viable. Yeah. So either way, it's going to be distressing. Yeah, of course. It feels better for that's her. It. And yeah, it's also important yeah. to understand that it's possible to miscarry normal embryos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So no, yeah. no guarantees in my, in my world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. 
So from PGTA perspective, is there a risk of actually dam- damaging the embryo as sure. well? Yeah, so say... Sure, because you're in the biopsy process and taking those cells, you yes, can, you can damage could, the embryo. You could damage the embryo as well, so then you could lose an embryo that way. Yeah, too. so to, to my mind, I advise my patients, it's, it's probably around the numbers. Okay. You know, if you have only one or two embryos, probably not worth taking the risk. Yeah. Because... Yeah. You might as well just transfer untested, save your money. and Yeah, because it's yeah. quite costly as well. Yeah, it's going to add several thousand dollars to the cost of the cycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if maybe you know, I've got three or four or more embryos, mm. then it makes sense to consider it. Mm. <clears throat> no evidence anywhere that testing embryos for women, women under the age of 37 provides a benefit. Yeah, okay. okay. So... Okay. Um, but of course, if a if a thirty seven year old ends up with, or sorry, thirty five year old ends up with ten embryos, yeah, statistically one or two of them won't be normal. So mm. she might think about it, but yeah. it still seems like a lot to put embryos through. Through, mm. Mm. yeah, before transfer, it's mm. a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, and how about um, for a patient who they've just come straight into doing IVF? Um, is sometimes the advice to see how a few cycles go before doing the PGA testing? Well, depending again, it depends, it depends so on, it depends on age, depends on how many embryos you get. Yeah. 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 It's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Alrighty. So Devorah, what benefits do you see from a patient centered model of care with evidence-based medicine? Well, I, you know, I like to think that we, practice from a good evidence base but as I said earlier we have a hard time giving up some of these add-ons when they're proven to not be um be effective um I I try very hard to educate my patients about what the current state of knowledge is Mm -hmm. about where we are um I started doing recurrent miscarriage work back in 2003 yeah. yeah. At that time, I did about 30 tests for recurrent miscarriage, mm-hmm. and now I do about six. Wow. Okay. Because we've learned that so many things that we used to think were associated with recurrent miscarriage mm. are not. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And, you know, even if there is an association, there is no treatment. So, okay. Things like having a genetic tendency to blood clotting. Mm. There seems to be an association with recurrent miscarriage, yeah. but giving um, blood thinners doesn't improve outcomes. Yeah. Okay. So if, to my mind, if you can't treat something, mm. why am I going to go looking for it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. And depending on the patient, would they, do you ever find the patients and want to investigate those kind of, you know, say, for example, the blood clotting factor, that they'd want to find out about that? Well, I try to discourage them yeah. from doing it because yeah. I don't see that there's a It's useful a investigation. Uh, you know, and when I first started working with um, Professor Rob Jansen, mm. he thought he'd unlocked the key to recurrent miscarriage in, in yeah. folate metabolism oh, okay. and looking at MTHFR, which yeah. my patients used to call the mother-father gene. <laughs> it's, a, it's a gene involved in, in folate metabolism. Yeah. And you can yeah. have... Well, we used to call them mutations yeah. in this gene. Yeah. We now understand that they're not mutations. They're variations, and they are actually normal. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. do yeah. not have an impact yeah. on miscarriage. Yeah. 
women with these variations do not need extra expensive folate. Mm. They metabolize folic acid just the way anybody else does. Yeah, yeah. okay. So I, but when I used to screen for this, yeah. if, a, if a woman had two copies of a variation, yeah. called yeah. it a mutation, I'd give her clexane. I'd give her blood thinners, oh, yeah. like right, a painful okay. injection. Yeah, 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 okay. Right? And then that just led to bleeding through the first trimester you know it was just it was really the clexane needles are they're painful it feels like ice doesn't it going into the skin some patients say yeah it's terrible um so i've gone from giving women injections yeah to not even testing for it for mthfr anymore for mthfr anymore so it's about for me it's about taking patients on that on that on that um on that journey of Mm. of of learning like where we've been where we are yeah. Reproductive immunology, a very rapidly changing field. Yeah. Very yeah. rapidly. And there probably is a lot in it, yeah. but we just don't know what all of that is going to come to at the end of the day. So, well, you know, natural killer cells, I always think they need a better PR company. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Because you need natural killer cells. Yeah. Yeah. You really need them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, they play a role, but as part of a much more complex, broad uh, uh, immunological immunological picture. Mm. Yeah. So to simplify it down to oh well you've got these an increased these level eyes. of these cells in your bloodstream. Yeah. Which doesn't mean anything about what's going on in your uterus, by the way. Yeah. <clears throat> this is what I mean. But uh, many people are quite fixed on that idea, yeah. and you know it's it's hard to accept the fact that like me. Oh my God, I used to torture these women with clexane injections mm. unnecessarily. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, but it's, it's the strange. nature of science, right? Yeah. And our world, it changes. And your intention at that time oh, was, was to do the a best. Very, a, from a very good place, of course. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think it's difficult with NK cells because there is a lot of hope around treatment and people do get a good outcome with pregnancy. And it's confusing. Debatable, uh, debatable. The, no, the the studies don't actually I know. bear that out. I know they don't bear that out. Yeah, um, but this is where I think it's difficult because with chance, maybe they fell pregnant exactly. that month, but treatment had begun for the NK cells, yep. and I think that's where miseducation comes into it because that, like we were saying just before, it mm-hmm. was that month that they yep. fell pregnant. I did that. Yes, I. I drank more pineapple juice in that cycle and I yes. got pregnant. So it I must have been the chips. pineapple juice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I went to Macca's and had the, yeah. had the, had the fries. <laughs> yeah, no. No. I think yeah. so often women and couples are looking for that golden egg. Yes. Like, uh-huh. This Absolutely. Yeah. This is what, this is, this is what's going to do it. Yeah. Um, and for me, almost always if, an, if a cycle is unsuccessful, it's about the embryo. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really hard conversation to have with patients when mm, their embryos are not good. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's, and sometimes it's easier to say, oh, well, let's test for this and let's try that. Yeah. Than to have the confronting conversation that this may not work for you and we yeah. need to look at other options yeah. for you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's it, isn't it? Because, you know, we see it in clinic that when you shift over to using, say, for example, a donor egg, the uterus is healthy. Of course. The mm. uterus is ready, it's receptive to an embryo, but it is, it's that really tough conversation that needs to be had. We need to get better 
about helping people get yeah. off the hamster wheel of fertility I treatment. I think so. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And now that City Fertility has the apps as well with the different donors. Oh, for donors, yeah. That's unreal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Donor more. options are, are increasing. Yeah. And now that we've gotten so much better technologically with egg freezing, yeah. um, it's really quite a quite a good option. I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled with our, um, our frozen egg donor success rates. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. And, it, and I think it's making it more approachable now as well that it is another option to consider. Whereas I even, you know, two to three years ago, it was very unknown. Like yes. patients. Yes. Yeah. So well, it really I, wasn't there. Yeah, it was yeah, always, well, not very accessible. It had yeah. to go overseas. Yes. You're on Facebook yeah. forums just trying yeah. to work out how to even go about yeah. it. So I think we're seeing that change. Well, egg, egg donation in, in Australia has got a, a, still a long way to go. Yeah. I think, you know, in yeah. the States – because you can compensate donors, people are quite accustomed to, you know, I remember riding the subway saying, be an egg donor, you know. Wow. Right. Yeah. So it just became part of the of the subconscious of the community. Yeah. That egg donation is a thing. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, Whereas here in Australia, mm, not, not so, so much, much a thing. Yeah. But hopefully we see that more. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And to help people accept the fact that they need an egg donor. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, to, yeah. Right. to normalize, normalize it. it. Normalize yeah. it, yeah. 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 And to shift the conversation that, look, IVF isn't working, but we've got other options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And our final question tonight, in your opinion, why is it important for patients to openly communicate with their fertility specialist about other treatments they're receiving, such as acupuncture and supplementation? Yeah, look, I think it's really important that I know what my patients are swallowing. Yeah. Um, some some herbs may be hormonally active, mm. and they may interfere with my treatment. Some supplements may be doctored. Mm. Yeah. So you don't know necessarily what's in them if mm. they're not coming from a reliable source. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I want to be able to support my patients and talk to them about the best evidence and what makes sense and, yeah. and, and, you know, save them money where yeah, of course. Yeah. they're, where they could save or yeah. guide them to other options if that's a, a, a path I want to take. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. And we do see improved patient outcomes when we have a team of practitioners sure. and specialists working together and that we're all discussing one patient's case with the patient-centered mm-hmm. model rather than everyone doing their own. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, Devorah, for coming on. Oh, it's been on. a lot of fun. Thank you. You're a wealth of knowledge. Oh. <laughs> it's been an honor to have you here, so thank you. No, thank, thanks for the invitation. I've had a good time. This podcast is intended as generalized health information only and was relevant at the time of recording. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or as a substitute for treatment from a medically trained practitioner. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions.